Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15. And by all rights, this woman should not exist. God had said that the Israelites would take over the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even nearly 2,000 years before Christ, when Abraham was living in the land, the Philistines were in the land, and God said at that time that the cup of the Amorites has not yet been filled up. And what he said and what he meant was that the sin of the Canaanite people who were living in the land of Canaan, their sin had not yet reached the point of him raining down death and destruction, but rather he was giving them time to repent. The sin of the Amorites, the cup of the Amorites, is not yet filled. 600 years after Abraham, God said to Moses and to Joshua, take over the land by force, little by little, and leave no one alive. The question then normally crops up there is how could a God of love and a God of justice do this? Is it right of God to command his people to take over the land in what we would call in newspaper headline terminology genocide? Well, yes, it is proper. Because God is the one who has authority over every human life. God is the one whose law governs all human existence. God is the one who determined that those Canaanites, in their 600 extra years of grace, they had not repented, but simply spiraled down further and further. Of the sort of sin that, if I were to describe it, we would have to excuse all the children, first of all, and it wouldn't simply turn your stomach. It would be too much to talk about. So God obviously isn't joking when he says that he wants a holy people. When he says at Mount Sinai, as he is bringing his people out of slavery to the land of the promise, and he says that I will make you my very own, out of all nations of the earth, you will be my chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out. By all rights, this Canaanite woman should not exist. Because she and her predecessors before her, her ancestors, they had so turned their back against God and put out their hand and said, we are going to do what we want to do. And God had finally had enough. And God's people, the Israelites, were supposed to be the visible, physical form of justice for all the innocents that the Amorites had slaughtered on their altars. But they didn't. But they didn't. They said, well, these Amorites, they've got something going for them. If we just sacrifice a little bit, then maybe that God will make sure that we have enough rain this year and we won't starve. And the generation who had seen the miracles in Egypt died off. And the people forgot and said, it's not that bad. Surely it's not that bad. And if it is, then the problem is with God and not with 
us. That takes us from basically 2000 BC to 1000. And it's at that same time that a blind poet over in Greece, he writes and makes up this epic story that is probably the reason why the Greek language was invented in the first place. An epic story uniting all the Greek peoples under this one common truth, that they were the Greeks, fighting for a cause at a place called Troy, and that the gods were working for them. And you begin to pick up some of the mindsets, some of the ideas that seem so foreign to you and to me, that seem like just so much superstition. And at the same time, we see that every religious idea that you've ever had or that our world has ever come up with is nothing new. The Canaanites. If I sacrifice something, then my God will give me what I want. And if it's something that I really care about, something that I really need, I will sacrifice something very valuable to me. The Greeks. The gods are no better than you or I. They're having their arguments with one another on Mount Olympus. And they intervene willy-nilly in the events of human life. Both groups saying that those gods either are under my control, can be manipulated by my sacrifice, or that those gods are worse than we. That if you want to see real nobility and real justice, then you have to look at human events, and that, that the gods are the ones who are worse off than we. Surely we, are, we can't be that bad. And it's in that setting, this woman, this woman who, by all accounts, should not exist, this woman whose ancestors had devolved into the worst kind of sin and sacrifice, this woman comes to Jesus. Well, really, Jesus has come to her. He came to those which were his own, yet his own did not receive him, and yet then Jesus continues. He goes further north outside of the land of Israel for this one trip to find this one woman. And she cries out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. What more could you ask for? What more could you ask for? Even the Pharisees were like, well, he can't be God, and he can't actually be the Messiah. They deny the reality that he was born in Bethlehem. They forget that he is the literal descendant of King David. Surely, they say, he can't be the Messiah. Jesus goes out of the land of Israel, and here is this little group of Canaanites who are still living there, and she cries out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Lord, son of David. And what she means by that, and what we see from the text, that what she means by that, is that Jesus is the promised Messiah descended from King David. What more could you ask for? And there is Jesus. He is all set with his, with his follow-up cards, with his first-time visitor packet. He is all set to get all the information so that he can keep following up with this woman and he can invite her to church again next week. Don't worry, same time, same place. And what does he do? She's crying out again and again and again. 
can't he just have a little bit of compassion on this daughter? We don't know if she's 5 or 15. Surely, surely of all people, a young child would deserve God's attention. Surely of all people, a young child would be the one deserving of his grace just a, a little bit. And here's this woman asking in faith, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She isn't running to the old gods. She isn't saying, if I only sacrifice something of value, then this God will help me out. She doesn't even just resign herself to her fate and say, well, the gods up in Mount Olympus, the gods of the Greeks will do what they will, and they won't do what they won't, and who are we to meddle in their affairs? She comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus and cries out to him, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what Jesus wants? And that example just puts us to shame. Does it not? Here's this woman grew up, she didn't say, well, you know, my parents never took me to church, so I never go to church. Here's this woman, she didn't have the privilege of being brought up in the tabernacle or the synagogue and saying, well, I learned this as a youth, and so now this is just what I believe. She didn't have any of the reasons or any of the excuses. She just said, I need a Jesus. I need a Savior, and He is the one. She doesn't dismiss it all as if it were old superstitions like the gods of the Canaanites or the gods of the Greeks. But she says, I need a Savior. I need a Jesus. And how does he respond? She is crying out again and again to the point of annoyance, to the point of, you know, this is kind of becoming a bit of a social disturbance. Maybe, you know, she needs a little bit of help, but not the kind that we can give. And the disciples finally say, Jesus, don't you, don't you hear her? Send her away. She keeps on and keeps on and keeps on. And his answer to her as much as to them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. By all accounts, this woman should not exist. And then she goes to the one who can help her. And Jesus' only response is, not today and not for you. Wow. But that example, that she keeps on crying. She came and knelt in front of him saying, Lord, help me. It's not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. It's not good to take the plate from in front of your child and dump it to the, the dog sitting at the table. <laughs> How that word must have stung the dogs. Somebody who was ethnically outside of Israel. The same sort of terminology that the Pharisees and the Jewish people were to say, you know what? that person doesn't belong here. 
And it, it raises another question, aside from the question of, does this not put us to shame because she still seeks out Jesus, even when she doesn't get an answer? But why does Jesus answer like this? Why does Jesus answer like this? When in all reality, he was the one who had told Joshua, who had spoken to Joshua, drive out these peoples and destroy their homes, devoted all to the Lord, clear out the land, quite literally. And here is this woman who is brought up in a faith tradition of, um, of idolatry. This woman who is brought up in the idea that if you just give enough to the gods, then you can manipulate them to your will who at the very least was acquainted with the idea that the gods are just as bad as we are and who really cares anyway. And yet here she is. Here she is begging at the feet of Jesus, help my daughter. And I can't be bothered to pray the same prayer two weeks in a row. And I can't be bothered to pray except when I'm in personal pain. Physical, emotional, you name it. That there's no demon possession as far as I know in my, in my household or in my extended family. Although sometimes we wonder. But among all the cares of this life, ours seem to be so few in comparison and we have such the richness of the knowledge of who this Jesus is, who has not only come for all people, exactly as he said, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist points him out, who has come, he has come for all people. And yet, Jesus answers this woman as if he is pushing her away. So that you and I see the briefest reflection, first of all, of what faith looks like. Secondly, of what a church God wants. A church of people who don't just sit back and say, well, I learned it, I know it. My faith is simply a bucket of facts, a bucket of knowledge. And as long as I can recite some of that knowledge, then I'm good. That's not the case. Because even the devil could recite the Apostles' Creed backwards, and it does him no good. So this woman stands here, begging not for herself, not for some little relief from caring for this girl who is outside of her control, but begging, Lord, even the little kids get the crumbs that fall from the table. If you ever had dogs and children at the same time, you probably know exactly what Jesus is talking about here where if you have a couple kids at home or you remember the days of having grandkids over or maybe your own children and you recognize that as children eat, there's often more that ends up on the table or on the floor as in their mouths. And we didn't know how much our dog cleaned up until we had to put that dog down. And a week later, we were like, we're just sweeping all the time. Look at all the, the food that falls off the floor. It's like an entire new meal there. 
Lord, their little dogs also eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And here he is. Here he is to say, woman, your faith is great. And here he is with not just a crumb of his grace, but that's all she asks for. She says, you know what, Lord, all the blessings that you have, the forgiveness and the righteousness that you've won, the promises that you give, the certainty of that, all of your blessings are but a crumb of eternity. And that's all I need. That's all I need. And to think that this woman says, you know what, she set out that morning and said, I hear that Jesus, the son of David, is here and nearby, and she scorns and turns away from all the advice of her family. And she turns away from all the literature that she has read about what the gods are actually doing. And she says, I need a savior. I need Jesus. And all I need from him is a crumb. Friends, that's what you and I need. That's what you and I need. And if we ever neglect that fact, then God have mercy on us. But what we need from our Lord is what only He can give. That your faith in Him is not simply a matter of mental apprehension of the doctrines, however great or little that may be. That your faith in Him is also something that puts into practice the blessings that He has given. That your faith in Him says, I need a Savior, I need a Jesus, and even if it looks like my prayer is met with um, not a word, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, let it be that your prayer is still ever always, Lord, help me. That's what faith looks like. That's the church that God has created. A church that isn't, isn't predicated on the actions of people in order to win the favor of the gods. A church that isn't a willy-nilly set of gods who do whatever they will and the people are better off without them. Those were the gods of the Canaanites and the Greeks. But the church of God is different. That this Jesus has come for you. Yes, he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he was also sent to the lost Canaanite who shouldn't exist. He was also sent for the people gathered in northwest Ohio. He was also sent for those who were baptized at that font or buried from this church. He was sent for you. So go ahead and consider for yourself. Where in your life have you thought and said, I need a savior. But what's the use? It looks like he isn't answering anyway. Take a page out of this woman's prayer book. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Because you have a God who already has helped you. You have a God who hasn't just given you a crumb of his grace, but a banquet of his grace. You have a God who hasn't simply given you the oral tradition handed down from some missionary that came to your town a few decades ago, but you have a God who has given you his exact word and laid out in very clear speech exactly how he has helped you. 
and how he wants to help you. By encouraging your prayer, by answering your prayer, by saying, dear Christian, this is the grace in which you now stand. That you have a Savior who came, yes, for the lost sheep of Israel, but also for the lost Canaanites of Tyre and Sidon, and for the lost sheep of Toledo. Amen.